0: Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good. I'm your chief philanthropod, Jesse Ulrich.
1: And I'm your vice admiral philanthropod, Chris Miller.
0: And Pod for Good is a podcast where we talk to the change agents working to make Tulsa a more resilient and stronger place. Today, our our guest is Mikhail Vaughn, executive director of the Urban Coders Guild, which is a nonprofit organization that provides STEM education opportunities in underserved and underrepresented communities.
1: We talked to Mikhail about the Urban Coders Guild, where he's helping train the future workforce of Tulsa's tech industry. We also talk about his love for Tokyo and why we should all go visit. And finally, we talk about what's what brought him back to Tulsa and why it means so much
0: to him. Remember that you, you need to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Bye. We are very excited to have Michael Vaughn on the podcast today. Did I do it right? You did. Yes. Perfect. Thank you. You are the founder of the Urban Coders Guild. I am. my baby. Yes, which I will summarize and then you can correct me, which is a a nonprofit organization that helps teach teenagers in schools how to code apps for phones generally.
2: Yes. All right. And the idea really started as that as that seed of an idea, but it really blossomed to a whole a whole forest of, of ideas. Um, the idea is really to start and to build an ecosystem around stem for the underserved and underrepresented communities. So we definitely have an, an aspect where we're teaching kids how to make mobile apps. We also want to teach kids how to make web apps. We also want to provide them an opportunity to join a professional community. And building a cohesive uh, professional community in which folks who work in the STEM industry can network, can get the professional development they need to take themselves further in their career. So it's a lot more holistic than just the kids learning how to make apps.
0: Well, I think I read in one of the articles about this that you called it a guild because you wanted the people in it to be able to then teach others. Exactly, exactly. So it really is really based
2: on the old artist guilds, the the trade guilds of, of Europe and the old world, having folks start at the beginning as an apprentice, being able to learn something, being able to transition into the journeyman. There's a whole bunch of steps, but the idea is that as you progress in your skills and your knowledge, that you're actually teaching folks who are beginning their skills and knowledge.
0: My My only basis for some of that sort of the guild ladder knowledge is from like Video games and D anD D and whatnot. Who also seem to have the, the <laughs> exact same code words for those things.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course.
0: I mean, that's that's a system that doesn't really exist now, right? There, there are very few things where you can go and be an apprentice for, you know, a year, three years, five years, and really learn the in and outs of a skill, and then be able to move up to then teach others while also having work for you to do. Right? It's not the really the way our it's not the way our society seems to work anymore. Exactly, and that's really unfortunate. We really need to be
2: building skills for our young people. I know for for so many of us, we graduate from college and we apply for their first job, and they're asking for ten plus years of professional experience. <laughs> when you're twenty five, I'm like, hey, how do you <laughs> get that? The reality is, is that we need to start our young kids younger, learning how to learning how to code. The idea really is that. They can pick up some books, they can look at YouTube, they can mess around on the computers or their phones, iPads, whatever, and be able to learn some of these skills. The idea what we're doing with Urban Coding Skill is providing a mentor or a teacher that could guide them through some of that. Where did the idea come from? I was living in Tokyo. I was working 100-hour weeks like most Japanese salarymen. Um, I knew that at some point that I wanted to come back, and the idea is what would what would I do if I came back? And I started to think about all of the folks who guided me through science fairs and summer camps and what have you. And I had just started trying to build it out myself. I just knew I was going to make a million billion dollars with this crazy <laughs> idea. That didn't pan out so much, but it was a learning journey. And I decided, hey following into the Gill model, like, hey, this is something I can actually teach other folks how to do.
1: And uh, you were able to grow this program through
2: uh, one of the Leadership Tulsa programs as well. Is that correct? <laughs> that That is correct. So when I first moved back to Tulsa, and that was um, the fall of 2016, I joined Lead North, which was a great program. It's under the, well, was under the flagship of Leadership Tulsa. Facilitator was Ash- Ashley Phillips, and she's One of the most amazing, um, dynamic Tulsans um, here in Tulsa, I had an amazing class, Brandon Odom. There's so many. It was just an amazing, amazing experience and really sharing that seed of an idea with folks and getting their um, constructive feedback, starting to build some professional networks or reestablish some networks that I didn't have in Tulsa and really guiding me into some spaces that allow this idea to grow.
1: I was just thinking that, you know, I I just think it's fascinating the way so many people have started journeys through Leadership Tulsa. I mean this this podcast itself was born out of a uh Lead North
0: sister program, Thrive
2: Tulsa. I remember that. That was I came to visit your classes. You all also had a pretty yeah. amazing class as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. We had some celebrities. <laughs> Looking at you, Mecca. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's you know the the, the freedom to think about an idea about something that you'd want to do and actually like have people give you feedback on it and sort of give you that space that most entrepreneurs don't get, mm-hmm. which is like the lead up time before you start, right? Usually you come up with the idea like, well, I have to start this now, yeah, right? Right. And a lot of these leadership TELSA programs give you time to sort of marinate with it a mm-hmm. little bit. And so like this, I, Id- this idea of what this podcast was and what I was going to use my podcasting skills for changed dramatically from mm-hmm. when I started the program until when I ended yeah. it. So.
1: And it seems like with the, the Coders Guild, the, the participants get a sort of a similar experience where they get to have feedback
2: from each other and, and when they're trying to develop something. That That is the goal. We spend quite a bit of time getting our kids really comfortable with the technology. Some of our kids for their first cohort had never used a Mac before. So just helping them to find the own button, helping them to find the copy and paste, which, you know, is, is different. On yep. a Mac. Yes, it is. Um, but just getting them comfortable with the technology, teaching them how to type a lot of times and then diving into the code. We spent about six months doing that. And then the last three months, we let them make their own class project, if you will. So the first cohort, their idea was to create a business directory out for North Tulsa. They actually developed a, a prototype, which we're still working on. This group, they're much, much further along. No, no disrespect to my first cohort, but the second cohort is light years beyond where we were last year, and they're actually going to be able to do some of their own ideas. They'd be able to get some great feedback from myself. We have some folks coming in to talk about UI UX. My first group of kids had no idea that you can't use brown letters on a red background. (laughs) It looks kind of gross. Or just They couldn't place their buttons anywhere, so being able to um, have a UIUX expert come in, have someone come and talk about entrepreneurship, project management. Um, I know our kids are a little bit young to start thinking about this, but not too young to think about it. But we had someone come in, I2E. Oh,
0: I2E, yeah. I got it right. Yes, it I-, did.
2: I always struggle with that. But they, uh, Malachi um, Blakenship came in and talked about. Um uh, mention capitalism, so if mm-hmm. they had some crazy idea that was gonna make you know the next billion dollars that we could start here in Tulsa, it'd be an opportunity for them to get some of that knowledge and um rock with that
0: you You mentioned how like problems that occurred that you didn't maybe didn't see coming, one of them being like yeah teaching kids how to use a mac also when you when you were talking about that, you mentioned typing, and that was something that just occurred to me, which is kids today probably grow up using portable electronic devices more often and not necessarily a keyboard. So learning how to type on a keyboard would not be a skill they would not, you know, naturally have come up with. Like I took a typing class in high school, which Mm was immensely helpful. Yeah, in my life but. you actually
2: took it though oh yeah you actually did well
0: oh yeah i sucked and and so even <laughs> oh, it was great like yeah just like you know where ex- i mean i was already like pretty computer fluid at that time it's like 10th grade mm-hmm. but like, knowing exactly where to put my fingers so that i knew where my fingers were without even looking down still can't do that immensely helpful <laughs> i
2: can't yeah. touch touch type or whatever it's oh yeah i'm just like you're pretty good when i think about it though i type with my fingers but there is a, a jedi moment when i just know mm-hmm. which keys are under my fingers it's but true. i didn't actually it i didn't actually pick that up in, in class I'm yeah just, i just over 20 plus years yeah just know where you know my p and my or and like under my
0: yeah it's it's hard yeah well i mean the class was we were on word processors <laughs> so uh for for the kids listening a word processor was a thing that literally just printed out the words uh that you typed electronically It was like an electronic <laughs> typewriter yeah <laughs> they did not last long so but so you're making me feel old thank you for that yeah Sorry, we have, we have, there's been comments in our 20, uh, 20th high school and, you know, graduation group uh, lately that we've been talking about. I know yours was last year. It was. Yes, it mm-hmm. was. Where was I going with that, Chris? I don't know. I think you just wanted to brag about how well you can type. Listen, that's, that's I, what I got out of that. L- listen, listeners, I'm a great typer.
2: <laughs> so, funny story. I lived in Japan for a long time. And, you know, Japanese, they use Chinese characters.
0: Hmm.
2: Most of my colleagues are, mm-hmm. are are folks in my peer group. Can't actually write the letters by hand. They can't write the characters by hand. Really, they're so used to mm. typing them on their cell phones that you can always pick one out because it'll auto mm-hmm. predict the the actual character. But they can't write write it by hand. So I didn't feel so bad as a foreigner <laughs> trying to learn Japanese. <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm just gonna
0: use my my phone to do that. Yeah, just type it in. Yeah. yeah. Why? I mean, I guess why? I mean, yeah, Japan has its own language. Mm-hmm. Japanese like why were they was it just Chinese the language of the work they were doing
2: so the it to get all in the Japanese language there are three different writing systems and you actually have to know all three of them and so there are two native Japanese ones and then there is the the kanji and those are actually originate from China but I think about I think about that in relation to um, what what I try to relate to, to the kiddos and that is being able to use technology in such a way to make our lives better. Mm-hmm. Last year when they came up with the project for the um, business director, the idea is really that there are lots of businesses in North Tulsa mm-hmm. that don't have the marketing or don't have the infrastructure to promote those businesses. We think about the, the legacy of Greenwood, Black Wall Street. It was a, a community of businesses that were able to support each other. But that was because one, they are all in the same physical community mm-hmm. and because of the law, they didn't have a, a choice but to um, keep the the money within that that neighborhood. These kids with this mobile app sort of closing that gap and kind of capturing the legacy, the spirit of Greenwood. I thought it was a brilliant idea. But again, that's technology mm-hmm. um, being used in such a way to solve modern day problems.
0: If you're in sort of the mobile app world, you ha- you probably have had this conversation about how people use apps and how many apps people use on a daily basis and the sort of benefits of, say, I'm going to get real technical here, like the HTML5 web covers versus apps, right? Where, you know, from the research that I did in a past job, the um, people might have 100 apps on their phone, but in actuality, they only use like four of them on a daily basis and most of them sit there silently not doing anything or silently collecting our data where we are and who we're talking to and what we're watching. But exactly. (laughs) So like, is that why you expanded from sort of apps to just programming in general? Because you want to give them access to the things people might actually use more.
2: No, not, not per se. I definitely want the kids to have different skill sets. And so our first group of kids are starting with iOS and that's really only for Apple products. This group of kids also doing iOS, but going forward, we want a group of kids that are also doing Android. Mm-hmm. We didn't start there because it's a little bit harder to start. When I have kids struggling to type, huh. I kinda wanna get them as far as far along into the programming as possible. But the idea is that we want them to be able to do Android, um, Android apps. We also want them to be able to create web apps. Just the whole skill set. So all of the all of the resources that the kids Let them make their own choice. I think one of the greatest injustices we do to our young people is making them decide one thing when they're 16 or 17 years old Mm -hmm. that they're going to do for the rest of their lives. I'm using air quotes because I I think about, you know, how many of us actually have degrees that we pay Tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars for that we.
0: I'm, I'm sorry, I'm staring at my Brandeis master's degree that had nothing to do with what I do now, right? And then, and then
2: we don't use them, and our, our over the course of you know our 20s and into our 30s, we've changed from one career one career track to another career track, and then mm-hmm. in our 40s we're doing something completely different. So the idea is give them all the resources, let them find out what works best for them, where mm-hmm. they want to go. Some of our kids are definitely. Definitely pursuing college educations. Some of them might want to go to a vocational school, a community college, um, our first cohort, one of our kids went to the military. but the idea is just throw the, all the resources at, at them, provide all the programming options, choices, let them choose what suits them best.
1: Beyond the um, actually learning to use the computers and programs, what are some of the other skills that it helps them build?
2: So that's a great question. Learning how to code learning programming helps with our language skills mm-hmm. and it helps with our math skills and so that's one of the things that we had started kind of midway to to, to track but anecdotally, we saw our kids having better grades and in math class having better grades and in their language skills classes as well that is I mean, that's huge, especially mm-hmm. because when we look at Oklahoma and the state of our education, we know that our kiddos, our kiddos struggle with everything, really. But math and well, math and science and English are two areas that are the most um, evaluated and the, two of the areas that we most struggle with.
0: It's also a practical application of it, which is something I always wanted in school and we never got, which was using the skills our teachers were teaching us in our real lives. Right. Like. If we grew up with cell phones, if my, if my if my math teacher in the eighth grade trying to get me to concentrate on something was like, hey, if you don't know how to do this, you won't be able to figure out how to program that game, I would have paid attention. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But she was like, no, you'll need this to like know if you're getting the right change at the grocery store. I'm like, I don't care about that. <laughs> yeah.
2: One of one of the other things that's really important for me is the logic skills.
0: hmm
2: We talk about common sense and how common sense isn't common. Mm-hmm. When we step all the way back, we have to have a certain way of thinking. Whether it's C or Java or any language, it really comes down to the logic. And once we get our kiddos to think logically, Mm -hmm. not only can they learn how to code, but they can also solve the world's problems logically as opposed to something else (laughs) well and
1: and i've just seen with you know i think a a lot of times it gets pegged to certain younger generations but just in general the workforce today seems to have a struggle with critical thinking skills yeah it's something that in school it just it's very difficult to develop and it seems like this would help quite a bit with that giving them you know the ability to think through a problem and figure out how to solve it instead of it either you know here's a problem, here's an answer, memorize the answer. It's here's something, you know, go find a problem and then go find the
2: solution. Exactly. And that's one of the trends in coding education. And I know we have a, a great school that just started here in Tulsa, Holbert, and, mm-hmm. Um, That's one of the things that they do is teach you enough to get you into the problem,
1: mm-hmm. but not
2: necessarily give you the answers. And it's on you to, to do the research and then find friends and to work the problem out collaboratively. Same thing with same thing that we're doing with these kids We're mm-hmm. teaching them the skills, guiding them into some problems, pointing them in some, into some possible solutions, but letting them work them out on their own.
0: Well, I mean, and programming sort of blends into what is great about technology today, which is like, if you have a problem, right. If you, yeah, i will solve it. Yes. Sorry. Uh, i I love that i
2: caught you that was a good one
0: (laughs) um what was i saying sorry Uh, ice ice yeah Uh, i need that as a drop mine goes ding 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 all right sorry you know like especially like with starting this podcast editing and whatnot like i've been do i've been playing with it myself and just figuring out problems by playing with the you know whatever program i was using But when i started doing this professionally i was like okay how do other people do this? Mm-hmm. And the resources out there for almost any problem, there are people out there, and I wish I was one of them who share this knowledge better, like via YouTube videos, you know, WikiHow's whatever, sort of walk you through what they do. And every time I learn something, not only did I learn something new about the problem mm-hmm. traffic, I also learn something new about the pro about something else I was I thought I already knew about. And
2: and Jesse, you yeah. know what that is? That is the birth of urban code go. Yes, I learned something. I saw that there was a a body of knowledge out there, and directing it towards our kids, or vice versa, directing our kids towards it. Mm-hmm. There's so many YouTube videos that can teach you how to code or how right. to play music or how to edit a podcast. There's so many, um, at least with coding, there is a whole repository. It's GitHub. Mm-hmm. I need a particular block of code to do this one thing. Mm-hmm. I don't have to spend my hours or however long to, to get that done. Mm-hmm. I can find it on a repository. So there are all the resources there. And this right. is what I love about technology. It is democratizing in so mm-hmm. many ways. Absolutely. I, I
1: have to do a lot of coding in
2: in SQL at mm-hmm. work,
1: deal with a lot of databases, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. if I don't know how to do something, first thing I do is go to Google, go to YouTube and yeah. find it. And most of the time somebody has already written something that'll do written yeah. query, written code, something that'll do what I need. And I just need to change it to fit what I need. Exactly. But the best part is once you have that little piece then you learn how to adapt it to do something else. And I think that's where you can
0: really start to learn the logic and the adapt adaptability. Mm-hmm. Those are the skills our kids need. Absolutely. I mean, I, it's weird that in, in sort of the podcasting realm, a lot of the YouTubers who do videos are all Australian. And I'm not sure why this is, but <laughs> I'm always just like, interesting. What was that word he just said?
2: But I love Australian accents. Actually, I changed my Siri to an Australian did accent. Did you? I did.
0: I had, yeah. I had, like, I had my Google as an Australian voice for a while. I was Australian, an Australian lady for a while. So <laughs> nice. Um. Yeah. But there's. I'm always just like, are there no Americans making these videos, or are the Australian ones more popular for some reason? Um. It, it, it's interesting, especially when you're, when you're dealing with something. You know, I've always used I'm not a programmer. Like I've always wanted to learn because one. It always seemed to me, you know, learning, trying to learn different languages. My problem was always in the rules that languages break and computer programming languages can't do that. Right. The rules have to make sense, even if mm. <laughs> you know, do, do they have to make sense? I guess. Yeah. I mean, so that's my question. Have you not seen The Matrix? Yeah. Like I mean, any of them, any of the three movies? <laughs> I'm, I've seen them. I have seen them like like it's fine. They never once mentioned what language that might be. Like, they could just made one up. But I mean, so is it. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, Chris and I both volunteer for Reading Partners and we're dealing a lot with kids who, um, you know, are raised in families where they're speaking two languages, mm-hmm. right? And Spanish breaks a lot less of its rules than English does. And mm-hmm. so English is hard to learn. And so I think about programming languages and how, in a way, like you're dealing with things where if something is wrong, right, it's not going to run. And so you have to find where the problem is. Like you can't, you can construct badly written code, but it still has to work, right? mm mm-hmm. So um, in theory, uh, in theory, yes. So (laughs) this analogy isn't going anywhere, so I just cut this out. But Um, because I was totally going to refute that with a
2: with a Matrix reference, and when you (laughs) learn something really well, you know where you can bend and where you can break. Mm -hmm. And so a a great programmer knows how to bend some of the
0: rules. They also know how to break some of the rules. Mm -hmm. I guess. Can you give me an example of when, like? What is a good example of bending a programming role? Off the top of my head,
2: I think about missing some of the syntax and still getting it to work. Okay. Sometimes it's just magic. Sometimes it's a ghost in the machine. Um, but I also think about times when you're actually breaking it, when I am exploiting some flaw, like some very low-level flaw in, in the actual language itself, and I can access different areas. That's that's essentially what, um, what hackers do in so many instances, just finding a spot where they can break the code and access whatever else that that they want to get to. Do you have a favorite programming language? Do I have a favorite mm, that's mm. I'm gonna go with Swift. It's the easiest. Alright. And it's the one that I teach my kids mm-hmm. starting off with. It's really um because it's Apple and because it's used for um iOS, a lot of it is predictive. I don't have mm-hmm. to remember all of the different the different language parts and the different methods, and some of the, some of it, so much of it, excuse me, is already there that my kids can really focus on the logic as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to find the right word. It also helps when you struggle with typing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. or on, and or spelling, right? So it, it guides you through that a little bit.
0: Uh, and I think we we talked about this uh, a while ago uh, when we were having coffee one day that. The, the way Swift sort of works, it sort of adds sort of a drag and drop aspect to it where you're not having to program the box. The box, you know, certain boxes already exist, right? Exactly. I
2: love it. And so that's especially true with the user interface. That's how we really pull the kids in. They start by dropping and dragging elements to mm-hmm. a blank canvas, if you will. And that's actually what you see in the app. But then to actually make it do anything, to make it work, to make it cool, they actually have to dive into the code and mm-hmm. at that point there's a certain investment because like hey i, I built this thing it looks pretty cool mm-hmm. how do i make it work and then right. we're at that point you know we're a couple of weeks in they're starting to learn like variables and and um switch statements and th- their coders at that point and so
0: that's that's the draw mm-hmm. that's what, yeah and so it's in, instead of starting from like a blank terminal box right you're starting from they already have the sort of shape of it but then have to make it work yeah. from the inside which yes would give you more investment to it mm-hmm. instead of just yeah. trying to figure out what you're going to do from from nothing yeah. yeah so yeah
1: so can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to japan a,
2: a little bit and multiple times right multiple times a, f- a few times um i actually spent my middle school high school and college studying um studying spanish and ironically, I graduated in June of one year. And then in August of that same year, I was in Japan, <laughs> starting all over. Mm-hmm. Um, it really was an invitation from a, a high school friend. It's like, Hey, just come visit mm-hmm. Tokyo. He, he was doing the JET program. It's a Japanese government mm-hmm. program where they have English speakers come and teach in their schools. So, so I just went on a whim, totally, totally fell in love with Tokyo. If you ever, I tell everyone, if you ever get a chance to go, it's, one of the most amazing places in the world, um, and I the first time I stayed almost seven, eight years. I got my MBA NBA there as well. Um, I learned Japanese, a lot of Japanese. Um, three versions of Japanese. So actually, I mean you have you have to know all three, and so I I, I learned I'm, I'm not to to my own home, but I'm pretty good uh, with, with Japanese. And then um, came back in 2010. The economy around the world was pretty was pretty crappy at that mm-hmm. at that time and so came back. Um also some family things were going on but I came back, stayed for 3 years and then I went back a second time. I wasn't ready to to leave Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um went back in that second time, great life, great job, but working as a Japanese salaryman, you're working 100-hour weeks easily. Um mm-hmm. but Still, there's no place like Tokyo. Mm-hmm. The energy there, um, 30 million people. There's very few things that that you can imagine that aren't there. Mm-hmm. And then there's so many things that you never possibly could imagine that are there. Um, again, I tell everybody, if you ever get a chance to go, it's highly recommended. Mm-hmm. Maybe not this year, though, because the Olympics are going to make everything kind of crappy. And then there's the coronavirus, yeah. in, which is making everything mm-hmm. in that part of the world kind of crappy right now.
0: So what made you... What made you decide to finally leave the place that you seemingly love to come back to Oklahoma with all of its quirky problems and and other things? So, I mean, it really it really was the hours
2: and living in an amazing place when you're 25 is one thing. But living in an amazing place when you're 35 is a different thing, especially when you're starting to think about your legacy. The reality is, is that you can work 100 hours. A week anywhere Mm. the reality is is i'm actually working 100 hour weeks here because i actually still have a regular day job a full-time day job and then running urban Coders guild as essentially another 40 hour week day job evening job as well so um it's about the legacy like where can i make a difference being here in Tulsa, working with kids who come from neighborhoods like mine, who look like me, um, that's the difference that I, that I can make here. I could live in Japan forever and I could have Japanese kids and they could live there forever. But I would never be Japanese. Mm-hmm. I would never be able to have that legacy. Coming back to Leadership Tulsa and Lead North and Thrive, um, being able to interact with such amazing people and have those connections with city leaders and entrepreneurs and um, philanthropists at this level is not something that you can really get any other place. Mm-hmm. So, so many, so many great things. And then i tell everyone also that this is not the Tulsa that I grew up in. This is a much cooler place. There's so many amazing people doing amazing things. So many people have moved back to participate in this, this new thing that we're doing here. Um super excited. I actually would not want to be any other place right now.
1: That's awesome. I mean I think when people ask me sometimes why I stayed in Tulsa, it's kind of similar idea. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like one of its draws is it's it's still big enough that has plenty of awesome stuff going on and things like that, but it's small enough that you can make a real impact. Exactly. You know exactly if, if if we were in San Francisco or New York City, odds are whatever we do is not going to make a dent in anything here. Mm-hmm. You can really change lives. Exactly. And I think that's yeah. that's pretty meaningful.
0: I mean, I, f- I felt the same way about Boston as you felt about Tokyo, which was like it was great in my 20s right? going to grad school, doing fun things. And then you hit your 30s and mid 30s and you're like, am I making any difference here? Like, well, this place this place will obviously survive without me. Um, where could I have the most impact where, mm-hmm. where do I care about having a legacy, right? Like the, you know, the Boston Jewish community, especially didn't need me. They were happy to have me. They didn't need me. Right. But mm-hmm. Tulsa has all the things that great city has. It also has the ability. It's small enough that you can find the people you need to help work on a problem, but big enough that it has big city problems to work on. Right. Mm-hmm. That, and you can get it anywhere you need in less than 15 minutes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Except from around here recently, because uh, uh, I'm like, really? You're blocking me off each d- different way I go? Like 11th and Lewis, 15th and Lewis? Uh, anyway, but yes, the majority of the time. I, I was driving into downtown around 5 o'clock a couple of days ago, and I saw all of the traffic trying to go out, right? Uh, I literally came back out of downtown 30 minutes later. All those cars were gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, ah. Oh, Tulsa traffic, so and delightful.
2: Do you laugh when people complain about the traffic? Here? Yes,
0: I do. <laughs>
2: but, but I now get frustrated when yeah. I'm, you know, stuck in Tulsa traffic. I'm oh, doing yeah. air quotes again. Tulsa traffic. And like, this is nothing. Mm. Taking an extra five minutes to get across town is nothing compared to you know the thirty, forty-five hour that it might take to get around a bigger city. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I've heard people say the Tulsa is the next Austin. I'm like, please, God, no!
0: (laughs) That is is not what we need. Well, and it can't be because one of the reasons Austin has such terrible traffic is both of their highways run north south. They are parallel to each other, so there's no way to cross town. Mm -hmm. We literally have highways that cross town. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, anyway, sorry. I (laughs) when I was in Austin, I was trying to figure out the traffic traffic talk. Yeah, this is traffic talk. (laughs) (laughs) So, when you were in Japan, did you? Did you have a car? Did you drive around a lot? I did
2: not. <laughs> so let me back up a little bit. When I first first moved there, I didn't live in the city proper. I lived in what I call an, an exo suburb. It's about three hours outside of the central central city. Um, and then I did have a car. You sort of need a car. It was a place called Tatayama. It's beautiful. Um, it's a kind of a resort town uh, for Tokyo. But then once I moved into the city, I did not have a car. Mm -hmm. I learned in the very first couple of months that I was there with the car that I needed eh, about $1,800 a month just to park my car in front of my own house. And then there were all of the gas and then the, the tolls. And then whenever I went to wherever I was going, I also had to pay at least 60, 80 bucks to park. So very quickly learned, hey, this is not... The mm-hmm. best idea
0: when when you lived in that exo suburb, did you use one of those speed trains to get into into town or so? There there was a faster
2: train, but not um I think you're talking about the bullet. The, trains, the yeah. bullet train, yes, the, the Shinkansen. There was not one from from where I lived in Tatayama to, to Tokyo, but there was a, an express train, which is pretty fast. Um, The Shinkansen, the bullet train, Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty amazing. Again, if you ever have a chance (laughs) to ride it, it, it's awesome. I think a lot of times about um, Star Wars when they go into um, hyperdrive Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. or warp speed and and Star Trek when, when the stars are flying behind them. That's exactly what it's like looking out of the windows. But you're cutting through neighborhoods. So when I say you're cutting through neighborhoods, um, the distance from where you are to maybe where this blue partition is, mm-hmm. that's the train lane. Yeah. And so there are houses on both sides and,
0: and fields on both sides. So it's... um.
2: Yeah, I mean it's, it's an experience. Yeah, well
0: and I was, I was reading an article about the the bullet train system and how it's even more amazing than we think it is because Japan is like the worst possible place to build this system. Like it is it is very tight, it is not like geographically flat, right? They had to do a lot of engineering to make it work where mm-hmm. like say in America between Tulsa and Dallas, it's literally almost flat most of the way, right? We could and build
2: and it's a crime that yeah. we do not yes. have rapid mm-hmm. train um, systems here in the U.S. Quick, quick runs between here and and Dallas are here in Oklahoma City. It's it's criminal. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, I've been when I was doing research on the Tulsa race massacre, and I was looking at all these pictures, and I saw that there were um, streetcars mm-hmm. in Greenwood, and I was like wait did we lose the streetcar technology like and then i did some research on why streetcars disappeared and that's because of car company lobbying and i'm like of course so but like but better technologies exist to allow us to like not have to drive Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. and you know the few train rides i've taken like when i took a cruise once and i it, it was we we got back to florida like During Thanksgiving weekend, and it was super expensive to fly, so we took Amtrak all the way from Florida to Boston. And yeah, it took like a day and a half, but it was delightful not having to drive or go through an airport. Just like sit there, read a book, napped. That was
2: great. That's one of my favorite things. Um, I think about living in a big city with public transportation. I would love to not have a car. Mm -hmm. I would love if I could live downtown Tulsa and did not need a car if there's a grocery store and my job Mm -hmm. at an office. Downtown, where I could just walk. I love the walkable um, community idea. I love the idea of being able to hop on a train. I l- Tokyo subway trains are notoriously crowded. Um, people are actually being pushed into the train so that the doors can close. Um, Jam packed. I I loved it. Um, yeah. I love being able to. If I was lucky, I could get a seat. Um, and get 45 minutes of my day back because I was sitting there maybe sleep maybe reading a book maybe sending emails mm-hmm. um technically I should not be checking emails or reading books or even texting while I'm driving but um being able to do that without um you know just having that time back mm-hmm. I, I love public um, yeah. public transportation absolutely yeah.
1: I mean Jesse knows this I if I could go like a week without driving I'm happy I yeah. if if it's within you know four or five miles I'll, I'll bike, you know, I've been walking or biking to work for about You're a biker years. though.
2: Yeah. Ah, okay. You're, you're braver than I am. Yeah. Tulsa drivers and not I know. the best it, and our little bike lanes are not. Yeah.
1: Sufficient. It, it, it scares me at times. I, but you know, it, with, with practice I found, you know, the best way to be a defensive cyclist I'll say to okay. avoid cars, but even still, I mean, I've, been almost hit many times but you know having having the ability to use a combination of walking cycling and public transportation would be would i mean that's that's the big thing that to me tulsa is missing mm-hmm. to be able to make the next step yeah yeah and because there's yeah. a lot of people that that want exactly what you want the ability to not have to have a car
0: yeah and Tulsa's a grid like this would not be a hard system to put in place yeah um, like the, the Boston train system was a mess because the Boston, you know, streets were a mess and don't go the same direction for five minutes. Sometimes um, they intersect with each other. Yes. With and, themselves. Yes. Yes. And sometimes they literally circle around. And now you're going the opposite direction. Um, but yeah, the days when I could get on the train and get a seat, I was like, ah, yes, like I've made it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, some, some days when it was like, you know, I was either broken down or whatever things would happen. I could walk home from downtown Boston. It was like four and a half miles, but. You know, on nice days, like, that's fine. It was it was an hour, like yeah. an hour and a half. I'd listen to some podcasts. It was great. Um, here, you try to walk four and a half miles. Like, you're, at, you're probably going to have to walk either over or under a highway. Right. Right. Which uh, has its own concerns. Areas with no sidewalks. Yeah. Oh, yes.
2: The, Lots of areas.
0: This, this neighborhood miles. itself is inconsistent for its sidewalks. Mm-hmm. And, of course, scooters now, which is right. the new danger. Right.
1: But even with scooters, it's interesting. And this, you know, it, one of my things is... uh transportation equity. Um, I've been involved with some nonprofits that uh, like Tulsa hub that, that do work in that area, but it amazes me how even the scooters are a good example. If you look at the different scooter companies, they have very specific areas where the scooters can go. And if you go outside and um, I I go to the uh, Hutcherson YMCA just, just North of downtown, great spot for me to go from work to Mm -hmm. either get a workout in or go for a swim, And I ran into one time where, you know, I was I was taking I took the bus out there. I just missed the bus going back to downtown. The next one wasn't going to be 30 for 30 minutes. So I'm like, oh, I'll just take a scooter, right? No problem. Well, it turns out just north of downtown is apparently out of range. And if you look, there's this sort of wall where the scooters aren't allowed. And it just so happens to be everything north of downtown. And a little, now, I think the Lime has expanded. They're at least a little bit into uh North Tulsa, but like the bird scooters, if you look, there's a hard stop mm. right at OSU Tulsa. Wow.
0: Yeah. The, same with the This Machine rental bikes is that I tried to rent a bike one time from mm-hmm. when, when I lived downtown to bike to Reese's on 15th and Lewis, which is the nearest grocery store. Well, that is out of range of mm-hmm. the This Machine bikes and like, they were going to charge me $75 for taking the bike out of range. And I was like, Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're saying this bike system, which is designed to allow people not to use cars to live a life. Right. I can't go to the one grocery store. That's close, closest to downtown. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll refund you. Yeah. I was like, but what, I mean, you know, it's like, it's, it's not only is it equity. It's like where, you know, uh, you know, their excuse was like, you know, they have to be able to handle the area to go pick up the bike. If there's problems mm-hmm. and whatnot, which I get, but like for the scooters, like the scooters can go wherever, right. right? People pick them up to recharge. Like, why don't, why aren't they going into North Tulsa? Mm-hmm. So that, that really um, makes me think about, you know, technology and how mm-hmm. we're
2: using technology. So many times are our, our biases get built into the technology. Absolutely, that's one of the reasons why having diversity in STEM is not just an aesthetic thing. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's a black person in the room. Mm-hmm. No, there there is an actual need to have a diverse um workforce that has a diversity of of thought and experience. Mm-hmm. Folks that say, hey, you know what? This community is historically underserved. There is no grocery store here, or this community, um, there there is no access to public transportation. Mm-hmm. There might be a need for a bike or a scooter to access these these communities or folks in those communities that access the The resources that they need, or the Mm -hmm. services they need, and so technology can solve problems, but it can also exacerbate our take historical problems into the future. Mm -hmm. Again, that's one of the reasons why we need so desperately to have a more diverse workforce, Mm -hmm. um, especially in the area of of technology. Absolutely. I mean, Jesse mentioned we're about to hit our our
1: twenty year graduation. When I was in middle school and high school, I took programming classes from, Mm -hmm. I think I took probably a total of four or five over the span of, you know, the last five or six years of school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, it made a difference in my, and this was in Broken Arrow, which is, you know, predominantly white community. And it, it allowed me to have access to a lot more. STEM training that helped prepare me for when I went to college. And even though I'm not, I'm, I work in, I work for a bank, Mm -hmm. but I still use a lot of those same tools. Yeah. So giving more people access to those, those type of skills will not only impact them, but also impact, you know, these communities. I mean, it feels like Tulsa is trying to develop a new technology
2: industry for it to get away from a dependence on, Oil and gas and everything else. Oh, for sure. There is a concerted effort to make Tulsa a particular technology hub. That is why, you know, we started with Coding Dojo. I want to say maybe, maybe a decade ago, mm-hmm. quite, a, quite a while ago. Holbergen came to, you know, help build this, this ecosystem. Urban Coders Guild exists to help build mm-hmm. that ecosystem um, right across the street or maybe a couple streets. There's TU. They have one of the best cybersecurity systems mm-hmm. in the world. We have a lot of, um not maybe not a lot, but we have um a couple of tech companies that are major players on the 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 global the global field and being able to support them, being able to have local talent, um, as well as attract talent from around the world to Tulsa. That's one of the one of the goals of, of our philanthropics as well as our um civic leaders is to mm-hmm. make Tulsa a tech hub. Maybe not an Austin. <laughs> or San Francisco or Atlanta, but
0: definitely a version that, that suits us. So how can, how can people help you and the Urban Coders Guild?
2: That is a great question. I am always looking for support for the kids. Um, Our kids need to know that there are pathways from where they start to where they could be. I think back to a quote from one of my childhood um, mentors and hero, like local heroes, um, Marvin Blades. I found out later as an adult that he borrowed the quote um, from <laughs> someone else. But he's he would always say, if you can see it, you can be it. And the idea is that we have these kids, they really just need to see someone who are is doing something different, whether they be a coder or a banker or a podcaster, so they can think about some other opportunities that they might want to pursue. In addition, there's a community of folks who already are work are in this space and be able to support them. Those are our two concrete ways that I can think that um, that folks can lean in and help.
0: Can people also give you money? People can always <laughs> okay give money. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure we got um, that in there. So um,
2: for sure, this is a nonprofit. All of the the money that we that we get is has been given. I give the I give my own money, <laughs> what money that I have. But ultimately, the idea is that all of this money is going into providing. Um, an opportunity for these kids. And specifically, we pay for teachers. We try to offer transportation assistance. We talked about, you know, having the scooters or or the the bike, but our our transportation system is such that some of our kids need transportation mm-hmm. support. We have a program here, MODIS, which is mm-hmm. which was um it came out of one of the leadership, Tulsa programs or maybe it was the i don't know if mine is a leadership tulsa but it's a, a tulsa based idea and it's uber for kids
0: mm-hmm. um, Yeah, their, their offices are actually very close to here yeah
2: so. yeah yeah um but being able to offer transportation assistance as well as being able to feed the kids i personally think it's unethical to have kids and after school programs and not feed them um it's even more true when 100 percent of our kids this year qualify for free and reduced lunch and mm-hmm. so i think about our kids not eating between lunch at school and breakfast at school the next the next morning. So being able to to support our kids in that way. These are all resources, financial resources um, that come from come from our community. So how can they connect with the Coders Guild? Um, you can email me at Michael M-I-K-E-A-L at urbancodersguild.org. Um, I am on Facebook as well. Um, Urban Coders Guild has a page. Um, there is a Twitter. It's, um, Coders918. Um, and an Instagram, Urban Coders Guild. So there are a couple different ways. <laughs> I am usually at someone's community meeting for some, for something. I'm super active in the community. Um, I love toasting and want to do all the things. And so if you see me, come up and say hi. Um, I'm usually pretty approachable
0: unless I haven't eaten. <laughs> yeah. So, if he looks if he looks like he's uh a little hangry, just like give him a Snickers bar and uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, have a conversation. Yeah. Anything else before our final thing, Chris?
1: Yeah, do you uh just is there anything else that you'd like to
2: to plug either related to this or anything else you're passionate about? Um, I'm just I'm super passionate about Tulsa. This is this is a new place. I really want folks to to lean in. Um, I know that we're all working. We all have kids. We all have so many commitments, but when we lean in, you, I, everyone, no, no one of us has to do all of the work or do all of the things. Um, it lightens the load and then ultimately it makes our city a better place. Awesome.
0: Well said. Um, so the last thing we always have our guests do is to look around the, uh, rat 9 Productions' Nerd Cave here and sort of find something that either calls to you or you're so curious about, you want you want us to tell you what it is. So I'm looking at your Star Wars um, not Star
2: Wars, Star Trek. I totally killed that. Um, <laughs> your Star Trek models. When I was a kid I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, that was my that was what I wanted to do mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid two, was to be an astronaut. And so I think about Star Trek and Star Wars and just like oh but then I also think you know it's 2020 and there are so many promises that we were made technology wise that we just <laughs> haven't yep. I mean I'm I'm still looking for my my flying car mm-hmm. yeah
0: where are our hovercrafts back to the future too. we were right. promised hovercrafts mm-hmm. or hoverboards I did know.
2: I did find some laceless shoes yep
0: those exist um, now
2: it's silhouette so yeah, p- oh. pitching something there is a, a really cool shoe store downtown um silhouettes they actually do sell a pair of laceless shoes Ooh um that they, they need to be charged overnight with a usb <laughs> of um, course they're beautiful they're nike and
0: they're 600 bucks yeah so we have a friend who uh, owns one of those one of those pairs of shoes so yeah yeah he's,
1: he's obsessed with
0: shoes yeah so and so. all right well well so we will we will get a picture of you with one of your favorite star trek ships so there, there <laughs> are many the options here and, so and oh yeah my favorite all yeah. right well Thank you oh, so and much, Jesse. Yeah. Which uh, which specific Enterprise is that? Uh, well, there's a couple up there. Oh, okay. so we've got uh, the J.J. Abrams uh, 2009 mm-hmm. Enterprise. We've got the Enterprise A from um, Star Trek Five and Six, and we have the Next Generation's Enterprise D. So uh, Constitution see, class.
2: I see the Next Generation, yeah, um, Enterprise, which mm. which makes me think about. My favorite, John Wick,
0: Picard. Yep, yep. The, the, definitely the smartest captain. So, uh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my real quickly, my favorite Patrick Stewart story is someone asked him in a fight between him and Kirk who would win, and he said, "I believe Captain Picard would never let like, get that far," <laughs> which I thought was the perfect, perfect uh, description of his character. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to our interview with Mikhail Vaughn of the Urban Coders Guild. Don't forget to either give us a review on Apple Podcasts or share this podcast on social media to help the Urban Coders Guild. You can check out their website, www.urbancodersguild.org. Thanks, everyone, and don't forget to both wash your hands and get it done, Elsa.